Good morning. How's everybody doing today? You gotta, I know it's raining, all right, like that's no, no excuse, but hey, listen, real quick, if, uh, if there's anybody who can stay around for just a couple minutes afterwards to help us get some tables set up for all in, we have around, around 50 people joining us today for all in between the two campuses, that's really awesome, and uh, we're excited to help you guys get connected. If you signed up, make sure you stay around, but help us get some tables set up in that foyer area. We'll pray that it starts raining extra hard right as that time happens so you can't go to your cars. You have a building excuse to help us with some tables, and yes, just remember for next week, don't show up here at 10 o'clock. Because uh, you're going to be really, really late for the first service and really, really early for the second service. And so I know that's going to be a change, but from this point forward, we'll be at 9 and 11 on Sunday mornings. And we're really, really excited uh, for all that God is doing, man. It's been a crazy season, but it's been a great season. And, um, you know, we know the best is yet to come. It's in front of us still. So I'm excited to be uh, continuing our series today uh, called Jesus Is. We're in week number two. If you weren't here last week, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the events uh, leading up to and through Easter and talking about who Jesus is. Who did he come to be? What did he reveal about himself through these events or say about himself through these events? And, and who does he want to be in our life? Like, who did he come to be? And so today, as Mari said, it's Palm Sunday. Hope, how many of you are familiar with today being Palm Sunday? You grew up in church? And maybe, any of you did like things at your church when you were kids where you had like a little parade with like palm branches? Anybody do any of that stuff? No? All right. Some of you grew up in church, right? You remember those things, little plays and things like that. But, um, Passion, uh, th this is the beginning of what they often refer to as the Passion Week or the Holy Week. Uh, so Palm Sunday was essentially the, the beginning of the end leading up to Jesus' death and, and resurrection. And, and this is a, a week, really, if we're honest with ourselves, this is the absolute, without a shadow of a doubt, the most life-changing, eternity-changing week in the history of humankind. There's never been a week that has had more impact than this week that we're celebrating this week. There's never been a person who's had more impact than Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. And they refer to this as the Passion Week because of the passion with which Jesus selflessly and sacrificially went to the cross to die, not for his own sins, but for your and I sins. And so what I want to do this morning as we kind of set the stage for where we're going. I want you to just kind of take a couple minutes to visualize with me because I think if you've grown up in church, you know, we've all heard the story. And it's easy during times like Christmas and Easter to be like, I already know the story. Like, I know this, I've heard this before. And I'll be honest, it's easy when you preach to feel like that. And so I want you to just take a few moments with me as we kind of begin and to kind of set the stage for where we're going today. I want you to just kind of get a visual of what is taking place before we read this portion of scripture. And so the streets of Jerusalem at this time were were filled with people. A city, the city of Jerusalem at that time had around 50,000 people or so that lived in that city. And during this time that we're looking at today, there's around 200,000 people in the city of Jerusalem. Jews from far and wide have come to celebrate this feast called the Passover. The Passover was one of three festivals that, that the, the, the Jewish, devout Jewish people would come back into Jerusalem to celebrate. They had the Feast of Passover, they had the Feast of Pentecost, and they had the Feast of, of Tabernacles, along with many other feasts, but these were the three that they would usually pilgrimage back into Jerusalem to celebrate. And so there is tons of people. It's overflowing in the city at this time. Now, Passover, if you're not familiar with, uh, something that was instituted in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, uh, it was in remembrance of when the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years uh, and God miraculously delivered them. He told them to, he, he did all these plagues. The last plague was that he sent this angel uh, of death, so to speak, to, to kind of take out the firstborn. And what he told them to do is if you wanna be protected, if you want this angel to pass over you, then you need to sacrifice this pure spotless lamb, take the blood, put it over your door frames. 
And when that angel appears, it'll pass over you, you'll be protected. And so they would celebrate and remember this feast, how God had passed over them, how God had delivered them, how God had freed them from, from their captivity. 400 years as, as slaves, God had freed them miraculously. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. And so Passover was a kingdom time. Passover was a time when they remembered and looked forward to freedom. All their hopes and dreams of freedom in the future were felt during this time when they celebrated this. Again, they remembered how God had saved them and they eagerly looked forward to when their Messiah was gonna come and save them again. Now think about the time they're in right now. They celebrated this feast for years and years and years. At this time, they're now living not, no longer under the rule of the Egyptians, but no less a much worse empire is now over them. The Roman Empire they're living under this constant threat. Everywhere they look, they're reminded of the fact that they're still not free. When they look around, they see Roman soldiers. When they, when they, when they, they see and heard stories of, of when they tried to revolt and it didn't end well for them and there was, there's dead bodies through the streets and, and people, the Romans would crucify people along the streets as they walked in town to remind them, you don't mess with the Roman Empire. When they looked at their money, they didn't see their own money. They saw the, the Roman Empire's face on their money. Everything was a reminder. When they paid their taxes, they got more taken than they should because they were a occupied people. And so it's this season of Passover as they remember and think back on how God had delivered the people of Israel. And they're reminded in this Passover of how they are now living under bondage. They don't have freedom, but there's hope in the air. Maybe more than any other Passover in history, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an excitement and expectation that's felt in the city. See, the Jewish people, they were looking for another Moses who would come and deliver them. They were looking for another king in the line of David who would ride in and be that Messiah who would ride in, overtake the Roman Empire, kick them out, right? And, and, and set up that Jewish kingdom, reestablish that Jewish kingdom. And all eyes turn to Jesus at this moment. The messianic hopes of an entire nation are on Jesus. You know, Jesus' popularity at this point is at an all-time high. Like an all-time high. I mean, he had been doing ministry for three to five years. He had, he had done so many incredible miracles at this point. He preached with authority. In the I mean, like word about him had spread everywhere. He healed. He healed the blind. He, he healed the, the, the lame. He fed thousands of people with small little meals. I mean, he had done incredible things. And then right before this, he did what we talked about last week. Maybe just a few days to a week before this event that we're looking at today, Jesus very publicly raised somebody from the dead, very publicly. A guy who was not just dead for a couple minutes, not just dead for, for a day, dead for four days. They believed, I mean, completely dead. When they said, we don't wanna take him out of the tomb because he stinks, right? Like he is that dead. He raises him from the dead. He speaks life into a situation where there was no hope for life. And word about him is spreading. The, the, the feelings are at an all time high. They're thinking, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? Are we finally gonna be free? Is this the answer to all of our hopes and dreams? Another thing I think is pretty incredible about this story, and I really never knew this. I was researching this week as I was preparing and I, and I read this and I thought it was very interesting. Palm Sunday takes place on, on the 10th day of Nisan, not the car, that was the first month in the Jewish calendar. Some of you have had Nisan, they usually last more than 10 days, but this is the 10th day of Nisan. Just so you understand, Passover takes place on the 14th day 
of Nisan. That's when they were to celebrate this festival every year. According to, to Exodus chapter 12, when this Passover was first introduced and established, this is how they were to remember it and to celebrate it for years in their future. And so this day, the 10th day, was a significant day when it came to the Passover because it was referred to as Lamb Selection Day. This was the day that they would choose the lamb that they were going to sacrifice for the sins of their family. God sent his son Jesus into Jerusalem on the same day that the Jewish people had been selecting their lambs for Passover for the last 1,500 years. In the Bible, Jesus is often referred to as the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, our Passover lamb. And as they were taking, what they would do is they would select a lamb and this lamb would be, would be essentially on display for four days so that people could see that this was the, uh, an unblemished, uh, uh, a perfect lamb that was worthy of the sacrifice. And for four days, Jesus preached in the temple and was on display to show that he was the perfect sacrifice. It's not a coincidence that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the 10th day, that lamb selection day, as he prepared for Passover. I want you to think about that visual in your mind. I want you to have this mental picture of what the energy could feel like in the, in the city at that moment as we read this story fresh and anew. We're gonna be looking at this from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. Now, this is a story that's, that's in every single one of the Gospels. And when you read the different accounts, there's little bits and pieces in every one of the, the different versions of it that kind of paint a larger picture but I wanna read through it from Matthew chapter 21, and then we're gonna look at a little bit of bits and pieces from some of the other gospel accounts as well. And the big idea that I want us to see today is this. The big idea I hope that you can leave here with understanding today is this. Jesus isn't just our savior, but he also came to be our king. Like Jesus is not just our savior, he also came to be our king. Matthew chapter 21, verse one through 11. When they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Jesus then sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, on the fall of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? And the crowds are saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. There are a few things that I, I think we can understand about our king, the king that Jesus came to be. When we look at this portion of scripture, I wanna point out four things quickly that we can see from this portion of scripture, the type of king that Jesus is. Number one, he's the promised king. He's the promised king. He's the rightful and righteous king. He's the, the prophesied king, the one that they had been waiting for. I want you to understand something. When Jesus chose to ride in on that colt, that donkey that was never ridden before, he was intentionally declaring in that moment his kingship. This was a very purposeful thing. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a mistake. He was purposely fulfilling messianic prophecy. 
In Zechariah 9.9, when talking about the Messiah, it said this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous, victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's court. The Jews, they knew their Bibles. They knew the prophecies. They would have been very familiar with what Jesus was doing in this, this moment. They understood Zechariah's prophecy to refer to the Messiah, God's anointed king, God's anointed one. And so when Jesus mounted that donkey, not just any donkey, but a donkey that had never been ridden, that wasn't trained, when Jesus rode that donkey into town, it was a, it was a very apparent, very clear, very intentional declaration that he was the Messiah. Essentially what Jesus was saying is, look, your king is here. Behold, your king is here. Like, I am here. I am your king. I am the one that you've been waiting for. He's the promised king. And not only that, we see he's a humble king. Jesus chose to ride in on a donkey of all animals. Just think about that for a moment. Most kings, when they would come into a city, especially a conquering king, was usually a show of power, of wealth, right? It was a show of force. Oftentimes, they'd be riding a white stallion or or they'd be riding on a, on a chariot surrounded by their, their army with their swords and their, and their shields. The, 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 way, the war, what they, the spoils of war, all the things that they took from the other kingdoms that they had overtaken would be there with them. There'd be a parade just like this, but it would be much more forceful, much more showing of an earthly, earthly power. A lot of times they would have the, the king of the nation that they defeated or the leaders of that nation they defeated chained up and they'd be pulling them behind them as a way of mocking the kingdom that they had overtaken. There was so much more to this, but we have to understand something about our king. He's not a king like other kings. Jesus comes to greet his people, not with a show of force, not with a show of pride, but in meekness and humbleness, confident in his calling and his purpose. He, didn't know, he, he knew he didn't have to impress anybody. He wasn't looking for the approval of people. He knew his purpose, he knew his calling, and he knew what he was in Jerusalem to do. So he didn't need all that fanfare. He's a humble king. Not only is he humble and the promised king, but he's a compassionate king. When we read about this account of Jesus' triumphal entry in Luke, Luke chapter 19, it says this. As he approached and saw the city, talking about Jerusalem, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, that would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Jesus was speaking in this moment prophetically to what was going to actually happen in Jerusalem. And as he approached Jerusalem, I want you to picture this. The Mount of Olives, Jer Jericho is coming from a very elevated position. And so as he, he crests over this first mountain and he sees Jerusalem, the city of his people. He looks at the city and he's broken for the city. He weeps for his people. He, he weeps because he knows that they're gonna celebrate him, that they're going to usher him in as a king, but that that celebration is gonna be short-lived because they didn't really understood, understand what he was coming to do. They had other things in mind when they thought of their Messiah. They had other plans and pictures in their minds of what the Messiah was gonna come to do. And he didn't fit their expectations. They were wanting temporary freedom from the Roman people and he was offering something so much greater. Not only is he the, the promised and the humble and the compassionate king, but lastly, Jesus is also a king who saves. He's a victorious king. 
He's the one who comes to save and deliver the crowd. They understood that part of it. They understood that the Messiah was going to deliver them, that the Messiah was gonna save them, that the Messiah was gonna bring them freedom. And so when Jesus entered the city, they started to put their cloaks down on the ground and palm branches on the ground and, and they cut palm branches and waved them. When they did, did that, what it was showing was a sign of allegiance, a loyalty. They were saying, we believe that you're the Messiah. We're going to worship you and celebrate you as our Messiah, as our King that's coming. That's what that meant when they did that act. And then they started to say this word, Hosanna. And they didn't just say it once, they said it over and over again. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When the crowd was crying Hosanna in this moment, they were, they were speaking from a messianic psalm, Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. It says, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Hosanna, listen, it literally means save now. That's what it means. Save us now. Deliver us now. They're crying out to Jesus. All their hopes are in Jesus. They believe Jesus is there to save them. Save us now, deliver us now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're crying this out. And here's the thing, Jesus is a, a king who came to save. That was his purpose. That was why he was there. That was his intention. He was coming to save them, but he was not coming to save them in the way that they expected. See, in the Gospel of John, after Jesus triumphantly walks into the city, he goes into the temple, which would have been a shocking thing for the, uh, for the Jewish people. See, right attached to the temple, the Romans built this thing. I think it was called the Antonia Fortress. Essentially, it was right on the side of the temple. They built a fortress that, that is actually higher than the temple, that all of the Roman guards could be on top of to overlook the temple. It was a show of force. It was where the, 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 the Roman leaders lived and stayed. It was to constantly watch over the place of worship to make sure there was no revolts. In their mind, they thought Jesus was gonna walk in and walk right into that place and he was gonna kick out the Romans and he was gonna establish a kingdom. But instead of walking into that place, he walked into the temple, which was the center of their worship and he kicked out the money changers saying, my house is not gonna be a, a house of a den of thieves. My house is supposed to be a house of, of prayer for the nations. It's supposed to be a place where people have hope for the nations. He goes in there and then he starts to teach. In John chapter 12, it says this, he replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Understand there's many times throughout Jesus's ministry where they tried to make him king. One of those times was after he fed one of the multitudes. They were so excited. They were so overjoyed with who he was. They said they tried to make him king by force. They were like, we are going to make you the Messiah. And he would say, the time has not yet come. It's not my time for this. And this is the time he said, it's now the right time. It's now the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Love what he says here in verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, Save me from this hour. But this is why I came for this hour. So Father, glorify your name. Even in the moment where he was face to face with what he knew was coming at the end of this week. He knew what he was gonna go through. He knew the torture and the pain he was gonna experience. God, save me from this moment. 
Is there any other way? He says, no, this is the actual reason I came. This is the very reason I've been here. This is the very, this all was leading up to this culmination, this moment in time. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, this is really important. It says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. And the crowd understood that. And they had these mis misconceptions about their Messiah. And so they said this, crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? And Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. And Jesus said this and he went away and hid from them. I want you to picture this moment as he's speaking in the temple to people. They have these preconceived ideas and notions of what the Messiah is gonna do, how the Messiah is gonna reign, how he's gonna take care of business. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, the son of man must be lifted up, I'm gonna die. Well, that's not what we thought was gonna happen. Like, that's not how we pictured all of this happening. That's not the way the Messiah is supposed to work. The Messiah is supposed to come in here like King, like King David. He's supposed to take care of, of the Romans. He's supposed to, to knock them out, destroy them, get rid of them. That's not the way this is supposed to work because they had misunderstandings of how the salvation was. Again, they thought they were coming for, Jesus was coming for salvation was from Rome. Jesus was coming to save them from their sin. There was a time in, in Luke chapter four where Jesus was, was preaching to the people in the temple he was talking about his purpose and, and what he had come to do. And as always happened when Jesus preached, many people gathered around. Luke chapter four, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And this, just so you're familiar, is Isaiah 61, verses one through two, is what he's reading from in this moment. You can write that down and read it later. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes on the, in the synagogue looked at him intently and they began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. This is the thing I just read, Isaiah, the prophecy that I just read to you, this messianic prophecy that you've been looking for, that you've been expecting, that you've been desiring, it's been fulfilled in me. I'm the fulfillment of that. I've come to do what, what Isaiah said and what he prophesied. The crowd wanted Jesus to be king. They just wanted him to fulfill it the way they wanted him to do it. Specifically in their mind, they wanted him to proclaim good news to the poor. They were thinking those who lacked money. We want you to pro proclaim good news. Give them a stimulus check. Proclaim liberty to those who were held captive in Roman prisons. Proclaim recovery of physical sight to those who were blind. This is what they were thinking. Proclaim liberty to those who were oppressed by Rome. They wanted the year of the Lord's favor to be Jesus sitting in Jerusalem on David's throne establishing a Jewish kingdom to rule and to reign. Jesus said he was here to fulfill it, but not in the way that they wanted. 
Jesus wasn't going to Jerusalem to sit on a throne. He was going on Jerusalem to die on a cross as a sacrifice for other people's sins. And Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 61, but not as the Jews thought. He proclaimed good news to the poor, but it wasn't just the financially poor. It was those who were poor in spirit, those who felt like they weren't good enough for God, those who felt like there was no hope, those who felt like outsiders, those who couldn't get to God on their own because of their mistakes and their failures. Jesus preached good news to them. Jesus proclaimed liberty to those who were held captive to sin. You don't have to walk as a, as a slave to sin anymore. There's freedom in Christ as your king. There's freedom. He proclaimed recovery of spiritual sight to those who were spiritually blind who didn't even realize their spiritual condition. He proclaimed liberty to those who were spiritually oppressed by Satan. How many times we read about in the gospels where Jesus cast out a demon from somebody who was tormented. He came to free people from that torment. He proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor and the forgiveness of sins, the receiving of mercy and of grace. Jesus came and accomplished exactly what he said he was there to accomplish. He just didn't do it the way that they wanted. And because he didn't meet their expectations and because he didn't do what they expected, their praise was very short-lived. In fact, many of these same people who were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is our king, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday. By Friday, were the same people in the crowd yelling, crucify him, kill him. We don't want anything to do with him anymore. Why? Why could they go from allegiance to their king? This is our Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for to crucify him. We don't want anything to do with him by the end of the week because he didn't meet their expectations. He wasn't the Messiah on their terms. We're always looking for a Messiah on our terms. The problem is Jesus didn't come to be the king on anyone's terms. See, they thought their greatest need was freedom from Rome. Jesus knew that their greatest need was freedom from sin. They wanted war. Jesus came to make peace. They wanted them, they wanted Jesus to come and shed the blood of the Romans. He chose to shed his own blood instead for the freedom. They wanted an instant salvation. Jesus came for eternal salvation. They wanted Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to set up a heavenly kingdom. They wanted a king on their terms. And Jesus won't be a king on anybody's terms. And let me tell you this, whether you acknowledge that he is king or not, doesn't change the fact that he's still king. Doesn't change it. It doesn't change anything. He's not waiting for you to appoint him to his position. He is king whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you choose to accept it or not. He's not king on your terms. He's king on his terms and his terms alone. The question you have to ask yourself, is he your king? Like not, is he a king? You don't make that determination. He makes that determination. Is he your king? Is he your king? See, I think some of us have bought into this kind of mentality that we can have Jesus on our terms. We like the Jesus that saves us from our sins. We like the Jesus that promises eternal life. We like the Jesus who gives us our get out of hell free card so we can live however we want. We like that Jesus. We like the Jesus who throws us that lifeline when we need it. We like the Jesus we can call out to when we feel broken and hopeless. We like that Jesus. We don't really like the Jesus sometimes where we have to submit to his lordship and his leadership and his kingship. Unfortunately, there's no salvation without kingship. There's no salvation for sins without first acknowledging that he is the king of our lives. He is not just our savior, he is our savior and our Lord. He is our savior and our our king. He didn't come just to save us from our sins. Yes, he's a king who saves, but the Bible is clear that he's also a king. And he's not just any king. He's not a king that is here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible says he is the king of kings, the Lord of all lords. Is he your king? 
Because here's the thing, if he's our king, there's gonna be some things in our lives that look different from before he was our king, before we submitted to his lordship. It's just like an earthly king. When, there's, when you follow, there's allegiance to that king and that, that kingdom. Our behavior changes, our allegiance changes. There's a change in our values when, when he is our king. There's a change in our priorities when he's our king. There's a change in our mission when he's our king. We don't live for the same things we used to live for. It all changes. There's a change in our worship when he's truly our king because he's a king like no other. He's not like all other kings. He doesn't rule with a heavy hand. He rules with love, with peace, and his kingdom is different. We willingly submit to his kingship, his leadership, his lordship in our lives, and everything about us changes. And again, whether, I, whether you acknowledge him as king or not doesn't change the fact that he is king. The Bible says one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We can either acknowledge his lordship and his kingship now, or we will acknowledge it someday, but at some point, all of us will recognize that he is our king, that he is the king, that there is no king other than him. There is no kingdom that he is not over. I wanna read one last portion of scripture in Revelation 19, because Jesus came once one way, but he's coming back again as our king. In Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16, it says this, it says, I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one except him knows. He wore a robe that was dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on the white horse wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has, he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he came the first time, he came as a baby. When he comes back again, he's coming as a king. When he came the first time, he came into the city riding on a donkey. When he comes again, he's gonna be riding on that white horse. When he came the first time, he came in peace. When he comes again, he's coming to, to rule, to take care of business, to make war on the enemies of God. When he came the first time, he came as a lamb. The Bible says when he comes again, he's coming as a lion. When he came the first time, he came to save. When he comes again, he's coming to judge. He's the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. His name is Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? Is he your king? Is he your king? Really, there's absolutely no more important question that you answer in life other than that. Is he your king? Have you submitted to his lordship, his leadership, his kingship in your life? Has you have you aligned yourself with his kingdom, not your own kingdom? See, some of us, we think, wait, I can just add a little God to my life. I can just sprinkle a little God into my life, make it a little bit better. Every time something's going right, I'll just rub the, the, the magic jar and my Jesus God will come out of it and he'll give me my three wishes and he'll just do it. And that's not how it works. He did not come, come to... To, to serve us. He came for us to serve him. Now the Bible says when he came the first time, he served. He, he, he created a posture for us to follow. He was setting an example that if the king of the world, the creator of the universe will serve others, then there's nothing as, as his followers that we shouldn't do. 
There's nobody that we shouldn't serve. There's nobody that we should live as we are higher them, elevated them. He, he, he proved and lived and showed us what it means to follow him in the way he served others. The one who served us is the one who deserves to be served. The one who laid down his life for us is the one that we should be laying our lives down for him. The one who died for sins that he didn't commit, the Bible says that he died for your sins and for my sins. Like the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us. It means everything that you struggle with, every sin that you walk in bondage to, every, every area of pride in your life, some of those big things, that, that adultery that you've experienced, that pornography that you can't stop looking at, that drug that you continue to run to time and time again. The Bible says he became those things. He literally became that, took on the full wrath of God towards sin in your place for your sins because he's a king like no other. He's a king that did everything possible for you to have a relationship with him. Is he your king? With every head bowed and eyes closed today, I want you to just think of that for a second. Have you surrendered your life to his lordship and his leadership? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned to him for his grace and mercy? Have you received the forgiveness from your sins that's only found in him? Has your life been changed because of the king of kings? Are your values and your priorities, your desires, your mission, has it been changed because of the king? And if not, will you make your prayer today just as those people declared as they ushered in Jesus into Jerusalem? Hosanna, save me, Jesus. Save me right now. I need you, Lord. I cannot save myself. There is nothing I can do to change my spiritual condition. So Jesus did it for you. He did everything for you. He made a way where there was no way. He's a, a God who is the resurrection and the life as we talked about last week. Doesn't matter how spiritually dead you are, you are not too dead for God to bring life back into you. If you're in here today and he's not your, your king, you've never, never submitted to his kingship, his lordship and his leadership in your life, would you do me a favor if, if today you say, today is that day. Today I want him to be my king. Today I wanna to serve him, follow him, submit my life to him, live for him. If today's the day that you're saying that, would you just do me a favor right now? Would you just raise your hand? I'm gonna look around for just a second. Just let me know that we're praying with you today as we close. Last week we had a couple people respond to the gospel. We always wanna give an opportunity to do that. That's why we exist. Anybody in here today would say, today, Jesus, you are my king. You are my king. See a hand towards the back there. Is there anybody else? We're gonna pray right now. And if you raised your hand or maybe you didn't raise your hand, I want you to just pray to God as well. Invite him into your life. Give him that place of kingship, leadership, lordship in your life. So Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you that you are a king. And Lord, that you are not just a king. You are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You are over every single kingdom of this world. There is nothing greater than you. There is no one higher than you. There is no one stronger than you. God, I thank you that you chose to come in meekness and humbleness to die a death that you did not deserve for the sins that you have not committed. Lord, we know that you died for our sins in our place, God. God, today I pray for every single person in this room who doesn't know you, who's not submitted to you, has not surrendered their life to you. I pray today is that day that they draw the line in the sand, God, that their allegiance has changed, their priorities change, everything about them changed because the Bible says they are a new creation when they are in you. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this place, the lives that you're changing. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you made that decision today, I wanna encourage you, fill out that card in the seat in front of you. Let us know so we can pray with you, send you some resources as you begin this, this journey as followers of Christ. We want to, to walk with you and that help you as, you as you begin to follow Jesus. If you're in here today and, and you know Jesus already and he is your king, we're gonna close with a time of worship. See, when we look at Palm Sunday, it should be this blaring and glaring reminder that Jesus is our king, that Jesus is your king, that he is my king, that he is worthy of, of everything we have to offer. Sometimes we come into church and we just kind of look at the words and we kind of clap and we go through the motions. We forget that we serve a king, that a king came for us, that a king ransomed us, that a king saved us, and that that king is coming again. And our responsibility as people in his kingdom, as his followers, is to live our lives for him, to worship him, not just with words. What we do here when we sing, that should be an overflow of a deeper worship in our heart. The Bible says we worship with our, our lives. As living sacrifices, we worship God. Everything we do, everything we say, we, we do as a representative of the king. The Bible says we are his ambassadors. Let me tell you something. That'll change your life if you just grab a hold of that. That every day, every Sunday, when you come into this place and you leave this place, if you are in Christ, you are Christ's ambassador, where he has sent you, you go as a representative of your king, in your workplace, to your families. When you drive, you represent Jesus. In a world that is broken and hurting, that needs the hope of the king, God has given you the responsibility to show the world that hope. So Father, today as we close in worship, we wanna worship you, God. Lord, we don't want to just go through this season, just going through the motions and knowing the stories, but not letting it change our lives. God, I pray today that we would be a church that's full of passionate worshipers, not just in our words when we sing, but in our lives when we leave this place, God. That people would look at people from this church and they would know that they've been with the King. That they would know that we represent something bigger than ourselves. Our mission would change, our values would change, our lives would change because of what you've done for us, what you've done in us. God, you are not just our savior. You are our Lord and our King, and we submit to your leadership in our lives. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.